Pedersen, oh, it's 1-0 Blues! What a header that is! Christian Pedersen with a bullet header! It's then floated towards the back post, Jukovic in there, Jukovic! Oh, what a header! This man is on red-hot form at St Andrews at the moment. And it goes again towards the towering Zigic. Oh, confusion at Martins! And surely scored the winning goal for Birmingham City! Hello and welcome to Blues Talk, your official Birmingham City podcast with Dale Moon and myself, Callum Denning. It's been a very busy summer so far at St Andrews Trillian Trophy Stadium with nine new faces through the door so far. And today we're joined by the very first defender, George Friend, as our guest this week. As well as that, we take a look back on a promising start to the season with four points taken from a possible six, as well as looking ahead to the visit of Rotherham United this weekend in your Blues TV big match preview. And finally, we'll answer the question on everybody's lips. Do we know the way to San Jose? The Blues Talk Podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning. While we spent some time in the last podcast, Dale, talking about how six new faces had arrived at Blues and Neil Average immediately made that update, so cheers. <laughs> uh, he's been joined since by Scott Hogan from that club around the corner and Athletic Bilbao's Mikel San Jose. Uh, let's briefly talk about what each of them bring to the side and we'll start with a man that you know very well and cause a little bit of a frenzy about on Twitter accidentally a month ago. Neil Average. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a it's one I think there was um yeah, the club had been looking at it for a while. I think they were trying to get this o- over the line. Everybody knew, didn't they, we were after a goalkeeper. Um Lee Camp obviously leaving at the end of the season. Connell Truman going out on loan fairly early in the off season meant that it was just young Zach and um we were in the market. Of course Andreas comes in. I think everyone's wondering is he the one or <coughs> the number one, will he get get given the number one shirt? Uh, or will we will we have another goalkeeper come through the doors? Um, and yeah, obviously working with him before, I was yeah pestering him for a bit. And yeah, it's uh, I think we followed each other on on all of our social media channels. We got to know him really well. And then fans obviously picked up that we followed each other, and they thought that it just came about because we were signing two it. and two making five. Yeah, that's it. Um, but no, it was it's good news. I think from you know put put personal you know, friendships aside, uh, a goalkeeper with vast experience, been to the Premier League, knows what it takes to form a proper dressing room. He was part of a. Remember him saying when he was there that that Warnock dressing room at Cardiff was one where they were all together working in the same direction. Real strong characters in there. Uh, went to the Premier League, saved two penalties in his first two games. Uh, one player of the season in the Premier League. Massive following from the Philippines because obviously representing them, the first Southeast Asian to, to play in the Premier League. Um, and someone at 30 years old, 31 years old, who still has his best years in front of him, I think. You know, as a goalkeeper's peak around this, this stage. Good stature about him, powerful shot stopper. So from a sheer professional goalkeeping point of view, I think it's a, a really good signing. And I think we've already seen as well, haven't we, at Swansea, the impact that having a goalkeeper with that experience and ability can bring to the side. That saved right the death. Yeah, and he hadn't, he hadn't had a lot to do up until that point. I think it's the measure of a goalkeeper a lot of the time when they're watching the game and they're trying to stay switched on and focused. Um, and talking to, to him after and, and Scotty, the goalkeeper coach, and you know, you, you'd want him to make that save, but then to get it out of trouble, to not bat it back into oncoming traffic. I think RU's poised at the six-yard box to tap one in if, if it doesn't go anywhere other than wide of the goal. 
uh, comes through a few bodies. And like you say, they are worthy of points. I think you look at right at the very top of the game in the Premier League at the moment, all the stuff with, with Chelsea and how Alisson's made a huge difference at Liverpool. Um, they can save you points. And I think, like you say, we saw that with 10 minutes to go. We were worthy of the point, but he still, when, when he was called into action, the one big moment that you want your keeper to make a save, he was there. Right, to the other end of the pitch, and a man that we all know very well after last season, Scott Hogan, back in blue. Yeah, I don't know what you thought about his interviews. I thought he was really refreshing again with his honesty. He's, he'd come back and admitted himself. It was Jekyll and Hyde last year, as it was for, for many of the lads. But pre and post lockdown, he, he almost divides them up into two separate seasons. You know, the Scott Hogan that we saw pre-lockdown, seven goals in nine, I think it ended up yep. being... Um, was electric, wasn't he? I mean, he first came in and he was on fire, with buzzing in and around the Lukas Jukovic, running off the shoulder, stretching teams. It's what we've been lacking the whole season. And he really did deliver a new dimension for us in the way we could play. Uh, meant that the opposition defences couldn't be as high as they were up against Juki. And was getting his goals. There was a lot of poacher goals in there. It was tapping some six yards out. There was, you know, one against QPR has lifted it over the goalkeeper. There's some neat finishes in there as well. You think at Barnsley and the, and the volley against mm -hmm. Sheffield Wednesday. So, you know, he was scoring from all areas of the 18-yard box. A man on fire. Lockdown hits. He comes back. And then I think there's a combination of a few things. You know, he, Pep obviously announced he was on his way out. Uh, then the team weren't creating as many chances. We weren't. You know, in command of games, we're on the back foot a lot of the time. He was cut a frustrated figure, I think, as well. In the latter stages, you know, he's been pulled off and replaced by some younger lads and probably a prof experienced professional like Scott. He weren't happy with it, admits himself that he lets he let it get to him. He had a frank conversation with Craig Gardner and I think, you know, he pointed out that you can't you can't let those things get to you, the frustration of not scoring, but he admitted that you know he wasn't good enough himself. So if we can get the pre-lockdown pre Scott Hogan back in, then we've got one hell of a player on the it. Midas touch. I think, speaking about Scott's interview, it's like when we spoke to Harley, isn't it, the other week, that just after lockdown, things weren't clicking for anybody. I think, like you said, he's the first to admit that he struggled in that kind of atmosphere. I think so, yeah, especially for strikers, because they're the ones that are... You know, dependent on your on your teammate's supply line, and because he wasn't getting that, you didn't see the best of Scott Hogan. Um, a lot of frustration in the ranks, just like you say, the whole cloud that was over the club post lockdown. Um, hopefully, you know that's that's banished now. Harley, I'm sure, would have spoken to Scotty. You know, the Brentford connection are their good friends off the pitch as well, <coughs> and told him that you know, new gaffer, a lot of new faces in, he's going to get chances and. You know, you're starting to see a little bit of depth in areas now. You know, I talk Karenko, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but there's, there's a bit more than cautious optimism starting to build at the club. Yeah, it's scary, the depth. And one man who added to it that came out of absolutely nowhere, <laughs> Mikel San Jose. <laughs> I mean, hell of a coup. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'll be brutally honest, I can't say I'm familiar with him before, no. before the speculation, before Twitter and... I think it's looking at his pedigree, isn't it, more than yeah. anything? Yeah, so we're going off purely his CV. Um, ten years in La Liga. He's, you know, like eight appearances for his national team. Mm -hmm. uh, not just any national team, but away. Spain obviously have a, a massive pool of talent. In their golden from. era as well. Yeah, yeah, in a position where you are with your Busquets and, and those at the very top of their game. Um, very proud uh, to be from the Basque region, uh, as with all Bilbao players. You know, only only wanted to play for them. Didn't want to play for any other team in Spain. If you believe the reports, he'd had, he'd had offers to stay in La Liga, to stay in Spain. But 
I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it, without Ito Karanka, this signing doesn't happen. Agreed. You know, and that's what you get with a with a high profile, experienced manager like like the Gaffer. Um, but yeah, you look at him, you'd imagine the versatility of being able to play at centre back. Though, if you're going off his first interview with Blues TV, he sees himself still as a central midfielder. Fine. Uh, he's got that competition for places now. As you know, Atal's going to play four-two-three-one. Part of those two, Clayton Sunic. Now you have San Jose, Kifton Bell, Davis. There's a number of bodies in there. Uh, you'd imagine the Gaffer may well, well look at trimming the squad. He said before on record. He doesn't like having a huge squad, so speculating at this stage, but you'd imagine he's going to try and see if there's, there's bodies going out the door just to make sure that there's comp competition for places. But it's tough when you've got so many numbers. There's players sitting there not playing to keep the happy camp mm -hmm. is near impossible. So, yeah, I think he's, you know, I'm guessing without seeing him, apart from the goal against Barcelona, you'd think he'd be linked tidy on the ball, wouldn't you? Is it very rangy? I went and, and filmed this first training training session tall slender figure mm -hmm. I think a lot of the Spanish kids who do come over Spanish lads they're not used to being powerful in the gym and it's all very much about aerobic fitness and honing your skills with the ball at your feet he's going to be neat and tidy uh, I mean going off a few of the Bilbao fans saying he's uh, the biggest threat is, is aerially now I think in both boxes likes to attack the ball in the opposition box which is good I mean we're not just, just veering off slightly, I looked at our team coming out against Swansea and I felt like we were a team of men. Yeah. You look at them now and maybe it was the inexperience towards the tail end of last year. Uh, when you contrast that with Pedersen, Friend, Dean, Clayton, Sunjic, Jukovic, yeah. there are, you know, there's some big lads in there as well. Gardner. Um, and we look like a team of experienced men. And he's only going to add to that with his age and all of his experience. Um, so let's wait and see. I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to seeing what he is and what he's going to what he's going to be when he's out there. Do we want to talk about the reveal video? Because that seemed to go <laughs> down quite, I think, quite well on Twitter. Uh, you've got Neil Everidge sat in a bus stop, yeah, which I think was many people's highlights, other than the obvious Mikel San Jose. Yeah, with the wrong number on. Yeah, he's back. There's yeah, a story. You know what? He's. Um, yeah, it's, they're always edgy, these ideas. And I think the, the big challenge is you're not going to please everybody. It's not going to be everyone's taste. And we know that when we're going to put these ideas together. But these are good news stories. Essentially, you're making transfers and, and bringing additions to the squad. And it's all it's all a positive. So I think you can afford to be a little bit more edgy. And the, the obviously, the, the famous song, which I weren't that aware of before. And Colin Tatum gets the credit for that one. Um, but when I first listened to it, I thought it reminded me of those cheesy... 70s taxi style mm -hmm. programs where they go for a bit of a casting call and so an idea was born and every you know joe to his credit part of, part of the blues tv team who edited the piece ran with it and we all chipped in with little tweaks and ideas and then the final product i think was <laughs> was way out there but you know i, I think it was um, a good enough story in that signing a high profile player for us to be a bit more edgy and i think it's been received well it's so. just going with the tone isn't it that feel-good factor that's around these signings you look back even to when to when our guest this week, George Friend, signed the first this summer, that feeling has started to creep into the club, and I think we're just kind of going with it. Yeah, I think so. Just riding that wave of optimism a little bit, and it's amazing when you, you know, you're part of a football club and picking your moments and your tone and stuff is is so important because you can put the same piece of content out, but if the results aren't there, if the mood around the club is off, 
then that very same same piece of content can be received completely differently. So it is about picking your moments. That's the ninth sign in the summer now. So creative juices are are, are in short supply. Um, but at the same time, it's been good to, to get some fresh faces through the door, generate that little bit of excitement and, and get a couple of good results because ultimately that's all it boils down to, a, a real good start on the pitch as well. Well, let's talk about those results, starting with, I think there's no dispute in the perfect start at St Andrews, a repeat of last season, a 1-0 win over Brentford. Yeah, we spoke to Harley, didn't we, beforehand? He was keen to get off to a, a quick start for obvious reasons. Uh, and I, I thought we saw both sides of the coin from Blues uh, on that opening day. First half, we played some really good football and took the game to Brentford. Let's be honest, they're going to have chances. I think Mwemo's had two or three real gilt-edge ones. They've hit the post, blazed one over into the tilt and when he should have done a lot better. But uh, I thought we put some real good passages together. Um, John Terrell zinging one over his shoulder and, and little triangles. Sanchez looked really bright. The first first chance for us to take a close look at him and he, he looked like he'd settled in and, and looked right at home. Adam Clayton as well, some of those diagonal balls. Yeah, starting to dictate from deep. So there was lots of positives in the first half. And then second half, you know, credit to Brentford, they started to dominate, put the pressure on. But we saw George Friend, Harley Dean and, and the whole of the back line and those in front of them just start from the top, putting a right shift to get us over the line. Um, Jeremy Bella obviously scores the goal from a set piece, which is good. We've obviously been an Achilles heel of ours over the, the last season conceding set pieces so good mm -hmm. to see us profit from one uh how he was allowed to run from the far end of the 18 yard box to the near yeah, post on the front and nobody post, yeah. has even tracked him um but still has to guide it in neatly so he's up uh, up and running which is good to do his confidence good and yeah we we held on with um some real dogged gritty determined defending and that's the blues that we used to seeing now i think everyone said when Atul Karenka came in that that's what you're going to expect you know you're going to have one nils you're going to have one if you can get yourself in front he'll get you organized and I think we saw that against Brentford managed to you know score first in the game which was crucial then we saw just real determination to to pick up the three points and like you say against um, the playoff finalists last season it's a uh, yeah perfect start and they're going to be right up there I think a pivotal moment as well that a lot of people kind of lost in the aftermath of the game. Zach Jacock, double save on his professional debut, which, uh, you know, no pressure. You know what? Fair play to, to Zach because Neil Leffridge come in the day before. Yep. So, um, you know, the big decision to go with Zach, 19, making your you, you senior debut. Uh, got high hopes for Zach. Great size about him. Big, tall lad, agile, already been picked up by his country at development levels. Uh, everyone knows the story of him being a, an outfield player till he was 14. So it's obviously a, a late transition to goalkeeper for him. But um, smashing kid and, and real ability as well. He did not look out of place at all. You wouldn't have said, you know, without knowing, without doing your research, if you'd have watched that game, you wouldn't have thought he was the nervy teenage goalkeeper in for his first appearance. He looked assured. His kicking was good. His distribution. And, and as you say, you know, we've talked about Neil Leffridge making big saves, but the double from, from Zach Jacock as well. Um, was crucial, so credit to him as well. And his attitude since, after what happened at, at Swansea and the, you know, the gaffer opting to go with Neil Leffridge uh, has been fantastic, so real one for the future, I think. Right, start with one playoff contender. The uh, fixtures didn't get any easier. We went straight down to another in South Wales. I didn't actually realise when um, when the fixtures were out that it was such a tricky start, actually. But, um, yeah, to go to Swansea, who we traditionally have been awful against for one reason or another. They always dominate the ball. But in that sense, it's quite similar to Brentford in a way. Mm -hmm. 
although Swansea played three at the back, I thought tactically we got it spot on. And it was crucial for us. I think if you watch it back and really do your, your geeky analysis on it, Ivan Sanchez was pressing their left-sided centre-half, not their, their full-back, mm-hmm. not their wing-back. Um, so what that meant was they, they were trying to shift the ball from one side to the other and they were already closed yeah. down and we were almost jumping on them inside their own half. And I think there's a few turnovers and transitions in possession in that first half where we were robbing them inside inside the Swansea half. Um, they started bright. First five, ten minutes, I thought it's another trip here where we're backs against the wall. And I think I tweeted at half time. There's a temptation when you go to Swansea to sit very deep, to try and defend for your lives and maybe nick it from a set mm-hmm. piece. It wasn't that kind of nil-nil draw. It was a really good goalless draw where two teams were trying to win the game. Uh, tactically, it was a bit of a chess match because of the, the differences in formation. But I thought we gave as good as we got on the day. Um, we've gone close with a couple of set pieces, haven't we? Harley's header straight at the goalkeeper. Jeremy Bell has had a, a header. John Terrell went close mm-hmm. in the first half before he'd been chokeslammed at half-time. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> uh, re- w- well, well worth the point that we got and extends this little bit of a run. Now we're starting to put together. I'm saying this all before Rotherham at home. Two games then. Uh, but, you know, without conceding a goal against two tough opposition, positive starts at least. I think one of the overwhelmingly positive signs from that Swansea game is that we actually created more and the better of the chances. Mm. That's the thing. They a lot of, had a lot of the ball. I think they've, they've whizzed a couple across our box, haven't they? Apart from the Efridge save 10 minutes before the end. Mm-hmm. As we're saying after, it's not as if he's been forced into a string of saves. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit to last-ditch defending, perhaps. But I can't remember too often they haven't littered our goals with attempts. So another positive is, again, the back four doing their job. Uh, Pedersen and Maxim kind of look, look back to, to the being at their best. The two in front done a, done a fantastic job. Tough when you... You know, the gaffers got, got Dan Crowley, uh, Scott Hogan, Gary Gardner all there mm, to make changes yeah, at the right time. But that is what we're saying about building a squad now. You know, with all respect to the young to, to the young lads, at championship level, you want to look to your bench, the players are going to come on and change it, not because they give fresh legs, but also they have the ability to impact the game. And, and you look, Dan Crowley with his, his creativity, Scott Hogan, completely different to, to Lukas Jukovic. We wanted to go down a different route. Gary Gardner with his bursting direct runs from the middle of the park. You're now looking at experienced pros on your bench, which is what we didn't have last year. So Leicester last week, let's go well off topic, unveiled a player by um, channeling The Undertaker, you know, putting <laughs> his coat and his hat on the pitch. Mm. Swansea, very impressive. They went one step further and actually put him on their bench. Yeah, amazing, wasn't it, the uh, the incident at halftime? I mean, I actually didn't see it in real time. I heard the commotion and then you start having a look down the stand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, spoken to John Terrell since the game, uh, felt that he was defending Ivan Sanchez, whose English isn't great. Yeah, I think it stems from uh, Blues not putting the ball out of play. Uh, and so they took issue with that right on the stroke of half-time. wasn't a head injury, so well within our rights to play on. Absolutely. Then, obviously, the half-time whistle blows. Ivan and, and John are trotting towards the, the tunnel. They get confronted, and I think, yeah, John Terrell preempted the bit of a confrontation, stepped in front of Ivan Sanchez to sort of defend defend his uh, his fellow Spaniard, who, whose English isn't great, and wouldn't have understood what the, the accusation was anyway. <laughs> ends up, ends up getting a uh, yeah a, a a hand to the throat. Uh, goes down very easily. I'm going to tell him that probably too easily. He, he'll be the first out. to admit that. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to get a free kick for that one. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you can't do it. And I think the FA have since obviously yeah said they're going to investigate. Um, and yeah, just a very bizarre 
I, I don't think I don't know what made him think he could get away with it in today's era where there's a camera at every every seat almost in every stand. So um, tell you what though, that camera couldn't have been better placed for the incident. Yeah, and I know it's such a shame we tweeted it out at half time as well to let the Tom world Ross know. and Kevin Broadhurst reacting live. <laughs> yeah, well that's it. So um I mean, the best thing that I liked from it was the gaffer's response after the game, listening to his post-match with Tats. Um, he was asked his thoughts on what had happened and he got in at half-time. And I think it was about not letting that distract the players because it was a game that was on a knife edge. It could have gone either way and we had to be really on it, really focused. And they all knew their jobs really well against Swansea. You could see tactically they got it spot on. And he didn't want that little handbags, whatever mm. it was, as a, to form a distraction going into the second half. And credit to the boys, they came out, picked up where they left off. And as I say, well worthy of a point. Absolutely. Well, we'll come on to our match against Rotherham this weekend in just a moment. But first, I want to bring in our guest for this week. Um, first signing of the summer. Came a bit out of nowhere, but of course, previous with the gaffer. Yeah, that was it, wasn't it? We uh, we, we filmed a radio close-up and started playing films, s- songs sorry, with, with the word friending. But yeah, when we caught wind of this one, I think it was an obvious signing to make. Uh, tried and trusted. The gaffer has obviously worked with him before. Vast experience at championship level. My memories of George playing against us was that energetic left-back going up and down the, the left-hand side. Converts to a centre-half in the last year. Uh, gives you that natural balance being a left footer, but what a smashing guy as well. And uh, anyone who meets him, um, your first impressions are like genuinely, you know, welcoming sort of stand-up guy. Um, all the reports coming out of Middlesbrough reflected that. I think they were saying he's been a, the impact as much as it's been on the pitch. He's had a real, he left a, a real legacy off it in the way he's conducted himself and represented the football club. And he also fits the bill of getting the right characters in the dressing room. You know, he's a leader. I think we saw that against Swansea in particular. Could hear him against Brentford and many people highlighted, you know, him waving teammates over yep. to celebrate as one as a squad, which I liked. But also at, at Swansea, when it was backs against the wall at times, uh, he was there and many people's man of the match at the weekend. So... Real addition to not just what he brings in terms of being able to play left back, centre half, his experience, but he's a, he's a great addition to the dressing room dynamic as well. The Blues Talk Podcast. Well, George, friend, thank you ever so much for joining us on Blues Talk. You are our second second yeah. guest of the season, so uh, yeah, appreciate you taking the time out after training. I suppose the obvious question is, how are you settling into your new home at the football club? You look right at home already. Yeah, settled in uh, really well. Um, so credit to everyone here really because mm. all the lads have made me feel very welcome but not just that all the staff and people like yourselves <laughs> as well so um no it's really good to be here and uh, it's pleasing we got a good start as well because that definitely helps yeah as we sit here i mean we've brought in nine of the summer so far but you were the first yeah um it feels like you've been here for ages now and actually <laughs> yeah, you no, haven't no. um but I suppose that, again, is a good sign that clearly you settled right in and a good couple of results to, that's helped out, really. But the whole mood around the place this summer, I know you won't be familiar with it because you obviously weren't here, but just feels like a completely different club, which I think is a testament to what you and the new boys have brought in as well. Yeah, a few of the lads that have been here a while have said that and there's um, sort of an, an undertone of optimism, which mm. is good and change probably was needed and it's not just at this club but at lots of clubs because um, you know when you haven't finished the season so well so to have the manager that's come in and all his staff but then a lot of fresh faces I hope it can add something and uh, I think the characters are important as well it's not just all about 
the, the playing it's about around the place and I'm, I'm pleased to hear that hopefully it's uh, it's a positive environment because that carries a lot of weight I think yeah I mean we were talking about the senior players that he's brought in you look at the average ages of the players that the yeah, Gaffer's brought in certainly one of the senior <laughs> ones yeah, thanks for highlighting that <laughs> but these are players that have been there and done it and experienced success in their career how important do you think that is to a dressing room to have those sorts of characters in there who know what it's like to stay the course at this level I think it's good to have a mix I mean I've been in dressing rooms where it's all senior players and it actually doesn't work and you mm. think oh great all that experience and but you need the, the youthfulness as well and uh it sounds stupid and sounds obvious, but uh, you also need those guys in the middle of their career that I'd consider probably in their prime. Mm -hmm. And um, I look at people like uh, Christian Pedersen, mm -hmm. people like that, that are really coming into their prime, I'd say, at their age. I'm sure there's many others that I haven't mentioned, but um, I think getting that blend is really important. And it's often not by chance. It is the manager, the recruitment department, everyone looking to, to find that blend and... Ultimately, you've got to go and do it on the pitch. But like I said before, in the dressing room, if that's right, then uh, it, it does go a long way. Um, talking to senior players, I'm just trying to think, am I the oldest in the squad? You know what? When you said I think that, I actually am, is there older than a 32? Let's have I think a look, see what we can I'm pull 33 up. next month. So I think, I think you're by yeah. some stretch the oldest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't know if that's good. I've just highlighted that. What well, Defers is 31. Dukey's yeah. oh, about 15. So <laughs> he's... <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. I think you are, mate. No, there's yeah, a few that it. might look older, but I probably am the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's talk a little bit about our start. I mean, everything was good going into the opening day of the season, but when you do host the playoff finalists with all the quality that they do have, you're never too sure where you are, especially after the Cambridge result, because clearly it wasn't the start everyone wanted. But to keep a clean sheet, to keep them out and to win the game... It just gives everyone that lift and that little injection of confidence that I think we we perhaps needed as a club. Yeah, I think to do it at home as well, which is, it's been tough at home by all accounts and it was the same uh, my previous club as well for some reason couldn't get home wins and when that builds up it becomes a bigger thing than it actually is so yeah, that's not even gonna, a problem now. Um, and yeah, Brentford, whether they're in the, the playoff final last year, they're, they're always a a good side and hard mm. to play against and we, we played really well we rode our luck at times but actually we we did a good job out there and I thought we were really solid and mm. off the ball looked good especially so uh, we took that into the next game as well didn't quite get the win but again a, a, another clean sheet it was it was really pleasing a lot of fans highlighted your part in the celebration of Jeremy Bella's goal in waving over oh, really? the rest of the team. Yeah, it has been picked up. It, it, it didn't go unnoticed. Is that just something that you naturally like to see your teammates do? You all celebrate together because it is a moment that, that you've worked for. Um, I guess I don't really... I didn't, don't remember doing yeah, it consciously. Yeah, too much. I just, yeah, you always yeah, wave just, the teammates over. Yeah, I, I think it was just a big moment, wasn't it? And uh, we, we'd worked hard. I wasn't here for all the pre-season, but I was here for some of it. We worked really hard through pre-season. Uh, the game against Cambridge didn't go away, and it was an important goal and uh, a great header, actually. So mm. it, was, it was important we all celebrated together, but I hadn't really thought about it until you just said it. But uh, maybe I have to keep <laughs> yeah, doing sure it. Yeah, do it now. I have to make sure I do it in the next game. Yeah, you put me under more pressure now. <laughs> but um, no, it's just those things like that. That's just the togetherness anyway. Mm. It could have been anyone waving the lads in, I'm sure. So um, to, to have that togetherness is going to be really important. And as the season progresses and the games are coming thick and fast, 
everyone's going to need to play, everyone's going to need to be ready because it won't be that 11 that played Brentford that necessarily finishes the season. It's always the, always the case. There's a lot of twists and turns to come and yeah. we're only, what, two games in. Yeah. So. Such a condensed season as well, isn't yeah. it, this year? Yeah, and that's it. And I think until after the international break, when you do get your Tuesday, Saturdays, then mm-hmm. you'll really start to feel the stretch on the stru- the squad, the, the strain on the squad, which is why the gaffer's bringing in yeah. up to nine as we, as we record. Yeah. Um, on the Swansea game, like you say, didn't quite get the win, but so many positives to come from it. Not just the fact that we created chances at one end, but also Neil Etheridge has had to make a big save 10 minutes before that. But it's not a string of saves from, from him on his debut, which is, again, testament to those in front of him. And I don't just mean you as a back four. Actually, the whole shape looked pretty good. How much work in the week leading up to Swansea and in the, the weeks of pre-season, I suppose, does the gaffer like to do in terms of shape, everybody knowing their jobs? Because it seems quite evident having watched the first few games. Yeah, there's a lot of detail there and it's what he expects of you. And I think that the key thing is it's whoever's playing in that shape, you've got to be able to come in and do it. And and it could have been a different 11 or different few within that 11 and they probably would have been able to come in and do the same job. And I think that's what's going to be important. Going back to... Uh, Evers with that save it's probably almost harder for him that he didn't have a load of string saves because he had to be ready for that one important save and he showed his quality there I was actually you know when I saw that we were signing him I was delighted because having played against him yeah. he's frustrated us many a time <laughs> with his you know saves and clean sheets so testament to him as well for, for pulling out that save and being concentrated it was a great debut from him so uh, yeah it, it's it's front to back everyone defending well mm-hmm. and uh, if, if the goals come as well it, it should be a, a good mix yeah does, does it feel like the dynamics in the dressing room are set up for us to have a successful season there's nothing guaranteed but you've been at clubs you've experienced promotions at all levels before does that have the hallmarks at least of the personalities you'd want to be part of a successful team yeah, well, straight away you see there's no bad eggs as they say and that's that's important I think that the core that have been here for a while, uh, look at Harley and, and Duke, mm-hmm. Max, uh, it, like Robbo, these mm-hmm. guys, they're all very settled and have a good influence on the dressing room and that's, uh, that's an important part of it as well. You need that core there that have been here a while, but it's also the staff as well. On my first day, I realised that some of the medical department had been here 12 years mm-hmm. and it made me think, well, that's a good sign mm. that it's not a different person every year. You need that stability and that consistency and... Uh, you can't predict what's going to happen, but those kind of things are going to give you a better chance. Mm-hmm, definitely. We're recording in the um, lead-up to Rotherham mm-hmm. at home. Uh, the gaffer spoke during the week, said this could be our toughest so far of the three because it's a very different proposition and you can't really afford to go into it thinking you're, you're better than an opposition just because they're newly promoted. Is that the sort of message that has to verberate through the dressing room that there's no room for complacency going into Saturday? I totally agree. I think it will be the hardest test out of the three. Physically, it will be the hardest mm-hmm. because they're very direct and um, they just put cross after cross into the box. So as a back four, you need to be ready for that. But, but all over the park, it's going to be fighting for second balls. It's going to be what you consider a proper championship clash. I mean, mm-hmm. it is changing a bit, that cliche, because you've got your Swansea's and your Brentford's that will play more. But these are the games that I think you're tested physically and, mm-hmm. and you need to be right straight away because otherwise they will, will punish you and if you give them anything to hang on to mm-hmm. it's hard to break them down so they've they've deserved to be promoted they're, they're 
good club in my eyes because they're they're well run mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it'll be a tough game yeah I mean we, we've spoken about it before and Brentford and, and Swansea they were favourites in our fixtures mm-hmm. and we managed to get results against both of them so it's, it's not a given that we, this would be the first game we go into of the year where we are expected to win from an outsider's perspective but you, you've been in football long enough to know that very rarely does it work out that way. It's never straightforward, especially in the Championship. No, and everyone says, oh, Championship is the best league because everyone can beat everyone. I actually, I've played pretty much all my career in the chat. I disagree. <laughs> I don't think it's the best league because of that. I actually think it's, you, you look at the Premier League and those top teams do dominate. Mm. The Championship, you, no one can really grab hold of it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. It makes it the hardest league potentially, but I wouldn't say it's the best because of that. And people get annoyed when I say it, but I actually think, well, you know, if you can take control of it, you are that better team. So mm. maybe if we can, we will be. But it, it's it's a, it's it is real fight at times, mm. and uh, Rotherham will, will be tight. And credit to them; they're not just guys that lump it. They'll they'll be able to play as well. They've got good players. So it's having that respect, but also knowing that we are a better team, hopefully, and, and we can show that on the day. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about your relationship with the gaffer. Obviously, he knows you very well. He spoke at length about you and, and Kate's coming in and what you bring but tell us a bit about him and what it's like to work under a manager who of course is a fantastic CV both as a player and a, and a manager what's he like to, to work under? Yeah I think first of all when you say about his CV as a player that speaks volumes yeah. and it doesn't always make you a good manager you've seen that with, with managers all over the world but uh, having played for Real Madrid and, and Athletic Bilbao and he's won Champions League what's good about him is he's able to realise what's needed in the championship and obviously the championship's quite a way off the Champions League mm-hmm. and Champions League finals but he's able to to find that formula more often than not that what's required is incredibly detailed, organised, he's a good man, manager, all these things and that showed at Middlesbrough and I really hope something similar uh, can happen here at Birmingham. Yeah, what was that, did he, how did that contact come about when uh, uh, first part of the off season you were linked um, with the club just gave me a text obviously I was when the season finished uh, in the last season I was, a, I was a free agent although Middlesbrough offered me something and I was trying to work out what to do and mm. I got a, a text from him and then it sort of escalated from there really and mm. uh, had, had my medical and then I was I was here so um, I have family in uh, Bur- well my wife sorry has family in Birmingham so that was a, also a a big part and, and help with the move uh, and I, I actually feel quite refreshed and uh, what's the word I'm just just ready to go and yeah. having been at Mills for a long time it was a hard decision but I'm I'm really pleased I've come here because uh, it's exciting and it's, it's a new start yeah a few things to pick up from your Q&A that you had with supporters I think in your first week uh, <laughs> meeting your other half in Birmingham was an interesting story yeah yeah. There's a bit of history in the city already. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, it was at the at the mailbox. Yeah, yeah around Christmas, uh, where they put they put the Christmas. They probably don't do it anymore. A big Christmas tree up in front of the mailbox, and I was like, "Meet you there." Not met her before. <laughs> um, we didn't get married the next day. It's a but, brave but, move, but, though. It's a brave move to go blind uh, date. Oh, I got a good recommendation. Oh, don't okay. worry. Yeah, so yeah you've done your due diligence. Yeah, exactly. It was a good reference. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah, and and it, the date obviously went well, and then. <laughs> from then on yeah and uh, it's uh, married and kids so 
Yeah, Birmingham's a very special city for us <laughs> in terms of that. I think we went to Bar Epinay, which I don't think is around anymore. Because okay. uh, I did check the other day when I, we were just walking through the mailbox just because we wanted to see whether yeah, it was there yeah. anymore, and I don't think it is. But uh, yeah, that was that was where we went, and uh, here you are. The rest is history. Yeah, there's a film plot in there, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, if, if you've got the years, it would be the most boring <laughs> film ever. So I wouldn't uh, wouldn't rush for that one. Yeah, and also you've mentioned this before, but they asked you about talking to officials before games. Mm-hmm. What the thinking is behind it? Can you just shed a bit of light on what you do? First of all, I don't know if you've noticed it around the training, but I like to know everyone's name anyway, because mm. <laughs> I think it's important to know everyone's name. Yeah. Um, if we're all going to work here but also on the pitch I consider the same like if I'm going to work for someone uh, for 90 minutes rather than call him Lino or Ref I find out their names and I, I find that it, that personal touch as well gives you a slight advantage because yeah. they're going to listen to you so uh, with the linesman that was it I, d- I always used to say as well just talk to me on the throw-ins because when I was playing fullback, I didn't want to get pulled up for a foul throw or not take it from the right place because it's just a cheap thing to give away yeah. so it's more just that communication, I think, and uh, I'd like to say it's my dad who's, you know, would say it's the right etiquette as well, <laughs> and uh, it probably is, but uh, yeah, it's that's that's as much as it is, really. Makes sense. I think we noticed it as well, didn't we, at the Brentford game? I mean, on Sky, I saw you speaking to the linesman, which was obviously the first time we'd seen it, yeah. kind of at St Andrews, so... Get him on side. Bit of interest. Get yeah, him on yeah, side. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's not completely sort of contrived, but <laughs> it is it is important thing to do, I think, I, and I'll always with the referees and it's important to it, you imagine how many people shout ref on the pitch but if you shout their name he's going to listen to you hopefully yeah. so yeah that's why do you get frustrated when referees don't talk to players it was a debate that was going on this week where they just tell you to go away and there's yeah. there's not that level of communication do you think they're getting better at it, referees I think they're getting better but they do get a lot of abuse as well from mm. the players so maybe you, you know if you put yourself in their position you probably wouldn't want to answer if someone's swearing at you but it annoys me if you're actually just trying to have a genuine conversation or ask why he gave something or didn't give something because you, you if he can give you a legitimate reason why then fair enough and sometimes they do and mm. I say to him yeah fair enough that's it was a good decision then but um it does annoy me yeah if they're just waving their arms away yeah. at, at you and uh I think they're getting better, yeah. I think everything's improving all the time. As the Premier League improves, everything has a knock-on effect. So the players in the Championship and, and also the referees. Yeah. Um, you touched upon the, the, how big a decision it was to, to leave Middlesbrough. But you also, I mean, the minute we were linked with you, we obviously trolled through social media and the messages from Middlesbrough fans were like, he's talking about a character reference that was like, we must be signing a top bloke because mm. they had nothing but amazing things yeah, to just say Just did about read him. the football parts. <laughs> <laughs> great guy, just, yeah. not great on the pitch. Yeah, exactly. No, um, um, but how, is that just something that formed over time? Because it seemed like you had quite a special relationship with the fans up there. Yeah, I definitely did have a, a special relationship and it was built over, over time as well. Uh, I think I got involved in the community quite a lot and my, both my daughters are little Teesiders. That's where they were born, mm. so that was a big part of it for me and they will always be T-siders. Yeah. I imagine they'll probably always support Middlesbrough, well, my oldest one who understands. But um, it was, yeah, I was I was warmly welcomed from the off and they embraced me as much as I embraced them and mm. it was a two-way thing and it helps that I did some good things on the pitch as well. But, um, yeah, no, it just, it all fitted really and 
my, my, my ambition really is to have something similar here at Birmingham. I, I know because of my age, it's not going to be for the same time frame, but it doesn't mean that I can't hopefully achieve something here. And Maldini played till 40, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of similarities You, you have there. watched me and watched Maldini, I'm sure. So, I mean, I, had, I did try and have my hair like him for a while to see if that affected my football, but it had no, no it, it was actually when the gaffer here was at Middlesbrough, I thought, right, Spanish manager, I'll get away with a headband. And uh, yeah, it didn't really work for me. So, yeah, exactly. So, no, I'm, I'm excited about about being at Birmingham and, and hope to build something here as well. And the, the Middlesbrough thing obviously will be held dearly to me, but it is in the past and I have, I'm concentrating now on, on doing my best here. It's just a shame, given the current circumstances, that you haven't got that connection with the fans at match day, seeing them around the ground on mm -hmm. your way in even, asking yeah, for course, pictures. Yeah. It's, it's almost at arm's length at the moment, so hopefully that can change and that allows players to then, especially the new boys, there's so many of them, yeah. to really get that connection with the supporters. Yeah, I think, again, it's a two-way thing. Like the, the fans maybe can't appreciate the players if, you know, just on a TV screen or on the radio or whatever, excuse me, it's when you see them live. But at the same time, I've played against Birmingham. I know what the fans like there, but then to have them on your side, mm -hmm. I still haven't experienced that. Yeah. So the sooner fans can come in when it's safe, obviously, the better because football's not the same. I, I, I'll hold my hands up. I hate it without fans in there. Mm. I think it's rubbish. So mm. I obviously understand why it can't happen, but um, it is frustrating because it's, it's better for everyone. What's your record like against Blues? Do you know? Do I remember play, you played? We were talking about this yeah. earlier about Wolves. Quite I think you yeah, well, Wolves was the FA Cup game, was it? Howard Webb? Uh, yeah, the FA Cup yeah. game, uh, the night game. Yeah, yeah. Andy Keogh scored, did he? I think for Wolves? so, yeah. yeah. I remember that because that was the first time I met my father in law. So my wife and I were newly together there, and I said, Oh, do you want to come? You know, trying to think, like, come to watch me play. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking it would impress her. Yeah. Didn't really impress her because uh, all she said she could remember is all the Wolves fans kept saying, If you love Wolves, take your shoes off or something. Oh, okay. So I don't, I don't know. No. And, but the atmosphere was good. And uh, yeah, and I, I met her, her dad afterwards, but I actually I did okay that game. I think I played left mid against a friend of mine who's. Stuart Parnaby was playing yeah, for yeah. Uh, yeah. for Blues at the time. Lee Carsley, Nigel Quasi maybe yeah, in, the, in, the, yeah. in the middle. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It was a great atmosphere, yeah. really good atmosphere, and a night game as well. Of course, I've watched the videos of the fans singing "Keep Ride" on all those things, and it, it's it's it is a special club, obviously. Mm. Um, and and even when I was growing up, I did enjoy. Um, trying to think who my era was, but it was like uh, Duggery up front, yeah, those guys. I think Bruce was manager yeah. and uh, Cunningham at the back and yeah. Jeff Kenner, people like that. And that was the the, the Premier League I grew up yeah. watching yeah. and enjoying. So uh, yeah, it's it's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, what's a successful season for us, mate? Obviously, the gaffer is the one game at a time answer. Yeah. And I know players are always looking no further than one game, but as we sit here now, it's still very early days. I'm sure the pieces of the puzzle may be added to in terms of players coming in. But in your mind, mm. your first you know, full season at the club, what would represent a successful one for you? Well, normally I just say, ask me at Christmas. <laughs> it's a good midway that's, point. That's, I that's when you kind of know a bit more. I don't know. It's like I said before, I 
the championship, everyone says what an amazing league. You don't know. Yeah. And I can't I can't give a prediction now because we've had two good results. It'd be easy to say, yeah, yeah we're yeah. gonna go and win the league, but I don't think probably we're you know, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. But we, we we know with this dressing room we've we've got that balance and that mixture that we can give it a good go and mm-hmm. Just ask me again at Christmas and I'll give you an answer then. <laughs> that right? means we, we at least get a second appearance. That's a verbal contract. Out. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there'll be another one after this. And people probably already <laughs> fall asleep. So. Nah, not at all. <laughs> they have picked up on uh, the fact that they think you are the nicest football footballer in the game. Oh, really? I think it's the way you probably voice is very well spoken. And they, <laughs> but then I've heard you on the training pitch you know, on the match day. Yeah. It's a very different George yeah, friend I mean, when you cross be, that line. Yeah, you can be nice off it. It's important. I always remember... When I was younger and someone said to me, oh, you need to be nasty, you need to be more aggressive. I'm thinking, I don't think I do, to mm. be honest. I think, you know, I am myself. Yeah. I, I've always been really competitive, like ultra competitive. So I've never struggled with that really yeah. on the pitch. Um, off off the pitch, yeah, it took me a while to get into football, to be honest. I'm a farmer from Devon originally, do you know what I mean? So it's, not, naturally. it's, it's not the ideal fit. I mean, I didn't start wearing um, trainers, like, casually till I was 24 so no put, way put, yeah. wait a second yeah, what so, do you the mean? lifestyle what so, revelation is this so when I signed for Middlesbrough I was just turning 24 and I was every day I'd wear shoes and a shirt and that was did you used to get battered in the dressing yeah, room yeah of course I remember Marvin Emnes striker came up to me he's like the coolest guy ever like Dutch so laid back dreads down to his like back and uh we didn't speak that much because it was way too cool for me. I, I didn't even know what to say to him. <laughs> what, I, just, we were just us two in the changing room once and I was putting my shoes on, put, buttoning up my shirt, you know, thinking just normal attire. And he walked over to me and I thought, oh, what's he going to say? And he, he just sort of came over and he goes, hey, George, man, it's not Saturday night. Like that. <laughs> and, then, and then walked off. And then it sort of hit me then. I thought... Well, he's right, really. Like, <laughs> Tuesday I, I, afternoon. Yeah, I was like, I don't really need to be wearing shoes, but I never, never really wore trainers, and oh, and then from from then on, really. So thanks to Marvin Emnes, I now wear trainers, <laughs> and actually can't get me out of gym kit now because you're the active wear. Exactly. 24/7. So uh, no, it's just little things like that. I I was I had quite a different sort of background to a lot of people that get into football. I know you get all sorts of people in football, mm. but generally, I was as an English player. I, I was from a rugby background, and again, it probably reflects my football when you watch me. But uh, kick and rush, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I, I I wanted to be a rugby player until I was sixteen. I wasn't one of those kids that was like, oh, I have to be a football. I have to be a footballer from when I could start walking. And I just loved all sports. To be honest, mm. I'd I would have chosen to be a professional in any sport if it was hockey, football. Mm. I just loved playing everything. So. Johnny Wilkinson was my idol, all these things. So it was slightly different and, and it took me a while to adapt to that football way and culture. But ultimately, you're, you're best off being yourself anyway, really. Absolutely. Yeah, it takes us nicely into a bit of a, you know, the conversation around how you came into professional football. And we always ask, ask players where it all started, really, the love of the game. Now, listen to what you've just said. Most players will take you back to when they could just walk. But for you, it sounds a little bit different. So... Where did the love of football come from you and what was you like as, as, a, as your upbringing and, and as a child? Um, yeah, again, I just played every sport and that was all I wanted to do was be a professional sportsman, but I never nailed down a sport. And then when I was 17, I had to make a decision and Exeter City wanted me to sign there and I decided to carry on and do my A-levels rather than signing for them. And I said, well, if they still want me, I'll be ready when I've finished. 
and I'd treat it as the old gap year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. I treated my first professional contract as a gap year. Yeah. Bearing in mind Exeter were in the conference then, so mm. it wasn't as if I was getting paid big bucks and mm. it was, I'm, I've made it. And I thought, well, if I do all right, I'll keep going. And if I don't, I've got my deferred place at uni. So that was, again, it was a slightly different way of going into it, but it was, I'm pleased, it was pushed by my parents as well. I'm pleased I did it that way because mm. it's enabled me to since go to uni while I've been playing as well. Um, and then, yeah, just, obviously Exeter did well there, signed for Wolves and ca just carried on ever since, really. Yeah. Um, so I'm still on my gap year, I guess. Longest <laughs> <laughs> gap year ever. What's up there? Uh, what did you study, George? Uh, journalism. Oh, see? Oh, don't get involved in that. Nah, you don't so, want to know. No joy in that. No, exactly. So, um, yeah, it was through the through the, the PFA and I could do it while playing at, at Middlesbrough and... Uh, all the local press up there have been great and it enabled me to get closer to them as well but it also gave me appreciation for what you guys mm. do and it's not easy and the, the you know the time restraints and time limits you have and of course nowadays as well with, with COVID and everything it's much more difficult so yeah, there was a lot of appreciation for the for the journals. I feel like we need to enrol everybody on this course because we never very rarely hear it. Um, be on every week. So Exeter, you done particularly well. What are your, your fondest memories from your time there? Because that's really early days, like you say, you're just still yeah. being young and and trying to get yourself into the pro game. Um, I was the I was youngest captain in their history. I don't know if it still stands to be honest. Probably not because they've had some amazing players. It's been like with Ollie Watkins, Ollie Watkins and Matt yeah. Grimes and all those guys, uh, Ethan Ampadu. Like they've produced some amazing players, um, but getting promoted from non-league back into the football league mm. at Wembley—that was the highlight for Exeter, without a doubt. And I was doing it with two of my closest friends in football at the time, and it was yeah, it was amazing to be part of that. I probably didn't realise how good a time that was, mm. but looking back, it was it was great. Yeah, and then obviously because your performances were clearly up there, there's a bit of interest from Wolves. How did that come about and that move and? Did you have to think about it? It's a big change. <laughs> it's really bad. It's either Wolves or Bristol City. And again, I've, I used to just go to Exeter and play. I didn't really know football very much. Again, from a farming background, I probably knew more about cows and tractors than I did football. Is, is, so, when you say from a farming background, is this a, is this a family business yeah, as well? Yeah, is this a, my dad's a farmer and my brother's now got the farm. I've got an older brother, so he was always going to take it on. So yeah. I used to help out now and then, but I'd get everything wrong. I'd, you know, break things, crash tractors, all sorts. <laughs> so it wasn't for me, even though... It was it was part of growing up, but when Wolves came in, I remember asking the two lads I was living with, was like, "What's Wolves? Like, is it a good club?" Like, like, You're a bit oblivious. A bit yeah, and they were like, it. "Well, yeah, it's better than Exeter." Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go for it." And no in in all honesty, I wasn't ready to be playing for Wolves then, and um, that reflected in the amount of appearances I made. I think I made eight eight or ten appearances in all mm. over the two years, and. Uh, what was great though is I learned a lot under Mick McCarthy. He was brilliant. Um, a lot of people might think, "Oh, because I didn't play, I'm going to resent that." But actually, he was. I wouldn't have played me. I wasn't ready, and um, it was a great learning experience for me to be around those good players. There, we got promoted to the Premier League. I was part of that, though I hadn't played that much. I was still part of that journey, and I also made my Premier League debut at Old Trafford. So Standard. That was. <laughs> you know, an amazing time in my career as well. And it, again, it was the game, you'll probably remember, where you, 
Mick McCarthy made 10 changes oh, yeah, I remember yeah. and he got yeah. done for it but yeah. then the week after we beat Burnley so it yeah. kind of vindicated his decision I bet he couldn't wait to go into the press conference after that Burnley <laughs> game and they'd won the game what was great about Mick McCarthy <laughs> is if you were his player he'd back you to the hills mm. and that spoke volumes about him and mm. I didn't care it was my Premier League debut it just <laughs> didn't matter to me even though Paul Scholes was zigging the ball around <laughs> everywhere but um yeah, so those experiences were great and I needed to move on after that. So I went to, to Doncaster for more of get games. Yeah. Um, two years in the championship with them. Uh, and that was that was excellent. Learned a lot under Sean O'Driscoll and Richard O'Kelly, who's now uh, Dean Smith's assistant at Villa. Yeah. And that enabled me to get my move to Middlesbrough. So it was, a, it was an important stepping stone and, and, and a good time to to really get some games under my belt. Yeah, it sounds like that Doncaster move is the one where that's where the football really kicked in and you mm-hmm. started to play regularly. And yeah, and I sort of learnt, right, if I'm serious about this, I've got to really knuckle down and play some games. And mm. I played a bit centre-half, left-back there as well. So um, I actually signed for Borough as potentially a centre-half, but then Joe Bennett left and uh, Tony Mowbray said, right, you're playing left-back. And mm. again, didn't look back really after that. Yeah. Take us through your eight years at Borough, how you look back on it Just all. I mean, I, mean, yeah. I don't know how you... <laughs> you got two yeah, minutes. Yeah, well, no, to be honest, Harley's already pulled it on me. He says, if you mention Borough again, I'm going like, <laughs> to find you. So I don't want to talk too much about it. And also, look, I, I can sum it up. I had a great time. Mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, I got promotion with them. I was fortunate enough to captain the club there as well. So Scored a screamer. Yeah. Or two. Yeah, but... Uh, Again, don't expect too many more of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was it was brilliant. But I, I made that decision to leave, which wasn't easy. But I'm I'm pleased I've made it, and I'm I'm here, and I'm really looking forward to to what uh, comes ahead in this season, next season, and, and the future with with the Blues. Mm-hmm. Uh, two games in, you played centre half for both of them. Converted centre half at the end of last year. Yeah. started to play games there do you feel at home alongside that settled back four I mean it looks like in the first two games Max you Harley and, and Peds have got a good relationship already yeah I think so I, I mean Christian's a character he's, oh my he's, God. he's a funny lad oh my this could be a feature do, oh do you know what God. though he's an absolute athlete he's a brilliant player mm. and I, I'm excited for him mm. because having played that position as well I can see what he can offer there and just want to like encourage him all the time because I know what he's capable of and he's, I think he's really showing it and mm-hmm. he, he for me he could be the best left back in the league mm-hmm. hands down so I hope he, he you know proves that this year because it means we'll be doing well as well and in terms of the other lads I think what I said before is I think anyone could be playing in that back four yeah. that's in this squad uh, as a defender and know what's what's uh, What's expected of, <coughs> excuse me, expected of them. Uh, obviously, Robbo's a, a, an excellent centre half. We uh, signed Mikel as well. I know can play there. Mm-hmm. Um, even young uh, G, I've yeah. been impressed with him as well. So, uh, it, I've built up a bit of a partnership with Harley, and that's helped because I knew him a little bit like friend of a friend before right. and met him before. And he's a great character. He's settled here. He's securing himself, confident, played well for the club for a while. So that's. That helps, and and he's been really good as well. And he's, I think he's actually played really well the first two games. Can we talk about his overhead kick that he scored in training? <laughs> yeah. Well, if I don't, I'm sure he will. So, uh, no, it was it was it was outstanding. I think everyone was seriously surprised. I mean, there is a drone that records training. So. We have no, we've, we've already got, got it. Yeah, so we... I mean, that footage is yeah is 
is, is ex- I mean, the week before, I was I had probably my best Friday where I was saving stuff off the line, but I would have traded all of those great blocks for that one overhead because it was yeah. it was like Gareth Bale in the Champions League final. Yeah, yeah. It hit the bar as well. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah, yeah. You know, it was it was special. Yeah. Uh, how have the Spanish boys all settled in? There's often when you get some Spanish lads join the club, you like to think they're not isolated because you've got obviously the manager and his backroom staff. But there's a little click of them now as well, which. I think will at least make them feel more at home. How have they settled into the group? Excellent, excellently. They they all speak good English, which mm. helps. And I think it's important in the same way as if an English player went to Spain. Mm. I think it's important they learn Spanish. So uh, it's good they've they've got that togetherness between themselves, which is important. You don't want one lonely Spaniard, I guess, do yeah, you? Yeah. You want them all to be together, but. At the same time, it doesn't feel like they're a clique. I mean, they're all easily able to converse and joke with all of us. So um, I try out my Spanish now and then. Yeah. Um, just how, to, how is it? How it's, it's okay. I mean, it could be a lot better. But GCSE, A-levels? Uh, when I just learned a bit when we signed a lot of Spanish players at Borough. I thought, right, I'll try and help with the... You know, to the, for them to integrate. I mean, I think a, a few of them sort of looked to me in a funny way, but <laughs> when, especially when they probably speak better English than I can. So, um, no, it's 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 great. It's great to have them here. I think it's good to have. We're saying about the different ages in the squad, mm. but to have diverse cultures and people playing in from different leagues and coming from different places because it all adds something together. Yeah. Uh, finally, from from mm-hmm. us, there's a bit of depth there as well. Now we talked about the the, the hectic fixture list and. You've already said that the squad's got to be got to be ready. You looked at the bench on well last weekend: Gary Gardner, Scott Hogan, Dan Crowley. Real quality that can come in and they're going to be needed, aren't they? Yeah, and you've still got lads coming back from injury as well that maybe fans haven't seen mm. uh, on paper yet in the squads. But you've got Josh and uh, Lico coming back as well. So there's that's two strong players for us Mikhail's as well so Mikel's not been part of it so it's actually going to be an achievement to get in the squad I think <laughs> because it's you know we've got a lot of yeah. players that might be disappointed so it's a nice problem for the manager but it's certainly needed in this league because y- you're not going to start with the same team you finish with and, mm. and when I think it's around Christmas I had a look, little look at the fixtures the other day and it gets seriously hectic that whole month December. I mean, it's gonna it's mm. gonna be testing for everyone, and if you've got a bigger squad, it certainly makes it easier. Yeah, those thirty-two-year-old legs will be tested in December. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice yeah. Heavy pitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> George, thank you ever so much for taking time out. You've been an absolute pleasure, mate. No so, problem. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Thanks, guys. The Blues Talk Podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning. One of the nicest blokes in football, George Friend, living up to his name. Yeah, what I quite like about. Him. He's at, when he's on the pitch, he doesn't come across as a nice no. guy. <laughs> Not but, at but, all. But how many players have told that down the years? You know, you have to be a different character um, when you cross that white line. And I think he slotted in, in there perfectly alongside Harley. As I say, it gives just that, that natural balance. Um, and you can see what he brings. You know, heads everything, organises other players. He's another leader on there. And I don't, you know, you don't have to have a captain's armband to be a leader, you look, Adam Clayton was the loudest player on the pitch at Swansea. Mm-hmm. And actually being in the stadium, obviously the sound echoes around the, the empty stands. You can hear Adam Clayton's voice above everybody else. So there's a few out there now. I mean, there's a... There's some, well, that's it. Is it. There's a few. You look down the spine of that team now and it's a strong, um, seasoned, proven professional spine of a championship football team and with more to come in as well in terms of leadership I mean Mikel San Jose in his interview spoke about bringing that to the squad yeah yeah well with his experience alone you know he'll be able to offer 
and, and have been in situations that perhaps some some haven't and his age the fact that you know he's, he's crossed the 30 boundary means that he's got plenty of years behind him now so that's it and you can see there's um the manager clearly felt like he needed to bring in these characters you look at the ages that he's recruited take away uh Lico, who's obviously one for for the future mm -hmm. but you, your efridge your clayton your friend um your san jose these are all around the 30 mark players who've been there and done it so i think he feels that that's the way to get to get out of this division or at least do well in it and like we say it'd be nice just to steer clear of danger and look to, to build now absolutely well on to this weekend then the first match against one of the six new sides in the championship this season rotherham united the familiar face in their uh, in their ranks. Yeah, Wes Harding returns to uh, to St Andrews, so it'd be good to see him. Picked up a yellow card on his debut. Fair play to him. Uh, but cracking, cracking guy. We done a piece with him early on after he just broke into the first team. Wes and I think he towards the end probably felt he weren't getting a fair chance. Mm -hmm. He was being played out of position. Asked to do a job for the team. Sometimes at at left back, left wing back at one stage. He sees himself as a right back. He will get that chance at, at Rotherham. Maintains his championship status as well. Um, and as a as a player, makes the decision to leave a club to go in pursuit of first team football, which I won't knock any player for. No. So so credit to him. Be good to see him back down here. But hopefully it's it's not a successful visit. Uh, obviously one of the sides. I mean naturally, whenever you come up to a new division, you are among the favourites to go straight back down. Mm -hmm. um, but they've already won this season. Uh, beat Wickham, mm -hmm. lost to Millwall, but they're both one nilers. So either way, they're in the games, um, and it'll be a tough proposition for us because Brentford and Swansea. I think it's fair to say we weren't expected to go and, and win those games and dominate the ball, and you know w us being the ascendancy for the lion's share of the game. Rotherham at home is a fixture on paper, whether you like it or not, that supporters will look at and say, right, how now do we go and break down a team who are going to come here as we? went to Swansea as we played against Brentford Defend. And, and make life difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure they'll try and win the game themselves at times, but we have to be the home team in form with this optimism around to really take the game to, to Rotherham and find a way of breaking them down because uh, that's the, that's, I think that's what we've struggled to do over the past couple of years. I think at countless occasions over the past two, three years where we've played sides at home and we haven't had the creative now that intelligence little bit of intricate play around an 18-yard box mm -hmm. to break down these teams. And then we get caught on the counter or a set piece and we lose the game and it's really frustrating. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing what the very different complexion to, to, uh, to the game on Saturday. I think we know as well, don't we, how resolute Paul Warren's Rotherham can be. We look back to when they were last in the championship, mm. going there uh, towards the end of the 2018-19 season, needing a win to confirm survival. We went in 1-0 down. Rotherham were excellent that half. Yeah, really like him. Really mm. like the way he, he comes across on his interviews. Quite a charismatic manager. He, he get a bit teary when they got relegated. He did, he did yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I think he wears, clearly, a man who wears his heart on his sleeve. But, um, yeah, we had to change systems, if I remember right. We, we had did, to, yeah. We changed to a diamond in the second half, which they, they couldn't adjust to. But, as you say, for the first 45 minutes, um, they make life difficult. I mean, they've got two huge lads up front and they launch the ball into the box. So expect that on Saturday. Um, they are looking to ask questions. They are direct. They had a long throw in from almost the halfway line uh, when we last played them a couple of years ago. Um, so it's going to be a tough one. And those boys at the back, we've we spoke about George Friend, Harley Dean, they're the two to play, along with Pedersen and Colin, are going to have to stand up to the physical challenge because no matter what you say about styles of play and whether it's ugly or not, 
it can be effective if you get it right. And when you've got two of them to deal with, there will be a handful. So make sure we do that that right and stand up to that uh, that threat first and go from there. But, um, you know, I fully expect us to really take the game to them on Saturday. And then next weekend, we go to a place where I think it's not unfair to say was one of the low points last season up to Stoke. Uh, of course, 2-0 defeat last time out. Steve Spooner, Craig Gardner uh, in caretaker charge. Just it was one of those moments, wasn't it, last season where everything looked against us. Yeah, I feel like I felt like we nearly bottomed out against Stoke. Mm -hmm. It was one where that could have been five or six easily. Um, you know, they they scored a really good goal through Klukas, but in reality, we got dominated in that game. The system didn't quite look right. Steve Spooner admitted after the game he had to change it. I think Craig Gardner admitted they got it wrong. Players not quite in position, but it was, it was more than that. It was just the whole mood and how he went into it. So, yeah, there has to be, and I fully expect us to go there, regardless of the Rotherham game, with a completely different game. Uh, and, and you know what? Stoke could be better than they were last season. They've, they've got some real good season pros in there. Trying to be Mikel. Yeah, <laughs> random. Going there. Uh, but you add that to what they've already got. Mike O'Neill, obviously very experienced international manager, now at Stoke. I think um, I think it'll be a tough one, but I expect it to be closer than it was last year because that wasn't the real Blues. I think it's almost a chance, isn't it? And with Halloween coming up, to exercise those <laughs> demons. That was an awful, awful yeah, link. Scarily really good. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> even worse. Um, but yeah, a chance to rectify uh, that mood from last season, isn't it? And show that we are almost a new club. Yeah, that's it. And bec because it comes so quickly as well, it will... Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an instant chance for us to go there and get a result. Uh, I remember that the Shea Adams one was a really good visit there, wasn't it, when he slid in at the back post. and Gary, Gary Rowett sent off. Got loads, didn't he? Um, and the fan base was proper there. I mean, we're right behind that goal. I mean, we have a great view of it at the Bet365, and mm -hmm. uh, that was that was a fantastic visit. Um, but, yeah, like I say, we have to go there and put in a better performance than we did before, and, and a chance to do that so quickly within a matter of months is important and to show that there has been progress made. But it doesn't even feel like the same club, Cal. You look, the whole mood, I mean, we're privileged. As I said again when we spoke to Harley, we're privileged to be close to it. Yep. And since the gaffer walked through the door, nine, nine fresh faces, all of them are, are going to bring something to the squad. He's building something here which, you know, you like to think is far, it's far too good to be in the predicament we've been in in these past few years. Now, I get there's a long way to go. It's a condensed season, so the squad's going to be tested. We're going to pick up injuries. We're going to go through runs where it doesn't quite work. And I like the gaffer uh, before the Swansea game. He said, you know, if you think that we can play as we played against Brentford every game and win, then you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. I think he said that, you know, then there's a problem. And he's right. You know, we, we beat Brentford, but that second half, they've had, they've had you know, forced the double save from Zach, as we spoke about. They've hit the, the bar, they've hit the post in the first half. So let's not kid ourselves. It's far from perfect. There's still lots of ground for improvement. But the early signs are at least good. And I think everyone is sensing that and can feed off that. And that in itself, it turns into a bit of a snowball effect going into into a really busy winter. Now you get the two games a week coming in because of this condensed season. Can't wait. It's almost down to like the tiniest sparks, though, isn't it? Like people turning up with smiles on their faces this year. But yeah, that's it. And that's all, it, all the difference is, it, uh, you know, the results lifts everybody. But at the same time, fresh faces that aren't scarred by last year. So yep. they're coming in, they've joined a new club, big club as well. Uh, you know, they've, they've moved to a new area, a big city. So they're full of optimism. Their excitement then becomes in, in contagious and mm -hmm. infectious in the dressing room. Because they're leaders and they're, th they're the right personalities as well, 
it harvests a culture there that if you do get a bag, bad egg or someone does come in there that's not quite right, it governs itself, the dressing room. Atul Karanka, and you heard from Harley, he's not a manager who's going to talk to you all the time and, and try and feed you information. He puts the right people in the right places. You know, there are square, square pegs in square holes or round pegs in round holes, and they're all doing their job. There's a, there's a clear idea as to how we're going to play, how he wants to set his team up. Clearly, there's a manager with, with knowledge in there. Um, so everything at the moment, and, and probably just the, the Blues fan in us <laughs> should be worried, everything at the moment is at least heading in the right direction, but we're two games in, so let's just put the brakes on a little bit, take it, oh, it's so cliche. I know. Uh, I'm not going to say <laughs> it. See Go how on. we get on against, see how take we get on against. Take it one game at a time, Dale. <laughs> see how we get on against Rotherham, and uh, and look forward, to, look forward to hopefully a better season than we had last year. Well, listen, if you want to take it one game at a time with us, you can join us on Blues TV this weekend. Pay-per-view, £10 to all supporters in the UK. Who are you joined by, Dale? Yeah, so we have the return of Paul Tate, uh, absolute legend. He sadly couldn't fulfil uh, the role last year. He initially started, didn't he? He did, first, yeah. First six games or so for us, but uh, for whatever reason, couldn't make it. He's back by popular demand, uh, not afraid to really... I think what we get from Paul Tate is the real fan's opinion. Yeah. He is in touch with those on the terraces, so he'll say it as it is, which is brilliant. Darren Purse on co-commentary with me as well. Percy's been fantastic, uh, real good addition to the Blues TV team last year. He's got a real coach's mind, but also he's been there and done it at the club. So real good, uh, yeah, pundit and co-commentator for, for Saturday. Hopefully we get the result to go with it. I think it's great as well, isn't it, having that kind of almost cast of ex-players on Blues TV. Of course, every game now available to UK fans for £10. It is a chance for um, for a variety of opinions to be aired. Yeah, definitely. We're always looking to add to that pool as well. You look, Jeff Kenner come and done a game for us. He did. Uh, last season. I think Nicky Eden done a game for us last year when we needed someone to fill in. But you've got Percy, uh, Paul Tate back now as well. Darren Carter, when he, he's obviously not with Sully or Moores, will, mm -hmm. will come in. Kevin Broadhurst for the miserable games, as Harley <laughs> Dean put it. Um, so... So there are, Adili had a bowler, of course, not forgetting Adili, who done do most games for us last year. We are trying to obviously expand expand the pool of players that we use. It's good to hear a variety of takes on on the match as well. And they've all got something different to bring. Brian Hughes from a coaching aspect. He's obviously done his badges and been in management recently. Darren Purse coaching development teams now at Oxford. Um, Darren Carter still in the game. Mm -hmm. So they all bring something different to our, our coverage. And, yeah, looking forward to, to, again, rotating them and, and working with them all this season. Well, if you can, please do join us on Blue TV for Rotherham on Saturday, Stoke next weekend and over the course of the season. £10 pay-per-view. If you're international, if you're not in the UK, you can subscribe for £110, I think, per season or £15.99 a month. So, yeah, please do show your support for the Blues and join us here on Blues TV. Uh, but for the meantime, Dale, I think that's it. Anything anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I think the, the optimism is talking for itself at the moment. Absolutely. So let's, let's see what let's see what Saturday brings. Looking forward to um to seeing that. Again, the only the only sour point is the announcement from the government this uh, this week, meaning that, you know, they've done all those pilot schemes to try and get some supporters back into into grounds. They were looking at doing a number of games. That's obviously postponed indefinitely for now. 
which puts back again just a bit of a hammer blow in that fans aren't going to be returning to stadiums in any time soon. And that is the only sour point, especially we're talking of drumming up all this optimism and hype around this season and, and supporters aren't there to see it, which is a real a real dampener. But um, hopefully we get them back at some stage into the new year because it just isn't the same. I think I saw the phrase typical blues used quite a bit on Twitter about the fact <laughs> fans can't come in and, and be part of this optimism. But listen, yeah. it'll happen one day. We'll have fans back through the door and what a day it'll be. Mm. But for the time being, I've been Callum Denny. And I've been Dale Moon. And this has been the Blues Talk Podcast. The Blues Talk Podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning.